Welcome to the Rebuilding the Beast podcast. I'm your host, Fessa Zazili, NBA champ, and I love a good comeback story because my life has been made up of several comeback stories. I hope this podcast inspires you to understand that rebuilding is just the beginning. Hope you can take the tips from the lessons and the stories that you hear and apply it to your life as well. Welcome to Rebuilding the Beast. Carly Ashworth is a transformational coach. She's a hypnotherapist and she loves serving the world this way. But you missed her story in 2008 when she crashed and said she hit rock bottom. You missed where she had to rebuild herself and she went on the show Big Brother, the reality TV show. Where she hit highs as a reality TV star, she hit celebrity status. And after this was over, she crashed back down again and had to rebuild herself, get an office job with people who were actually fans of hers. Well, her story is so interesting. I hope it inspires people to know that you can rebuild yourself over and over and over. I hope this reminds you and shows you that you can reinvent yourself as many times as you need to in life. Without further ado, this is Carly Ashworth. Carly Ashworth, welcome to Rebuilding the Beast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for for being here. And I think it is safe to say that you might be our first reality TV star. Wow. Yeah, that seems like a long time ago, but yep. And now you are a transformation coach for for women? The clientele that I have now is predominantly women. Yeah. You were on season 10 of Big Brother in 2009. So yes, it was a few years ago. You entered the corporate world in 2012. You were a sales executive by 2018. You're a trained hypnotherapist and mindset coach. Since 2019, you've done this. You're the podcast host of the Soul Family Podcast. That's a lot to get into, girl. You've been you've been busy. It's all going on in this world for sure. You have this post on your Instagram that is a timeline of your life. And you kept coming back to the word refocus. Was that a word that you've always told yourself? Something that you learned later in your life and that you just didn't recognize that you were doing back in 2008? What does that word mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that when you reflect back on your life, you see that in the hardships you faced was the most transformational moments. And when I sat in wrote that post out the word that kept coming to me was I was just refocusing when life humbled me and I had nothing in all these moments my focus had to shift from victim mentality blame mentality you know I was probably blaming the world I was looking outward why am I in this situation why has life treated me this way and I had to refocus away from that to okay What's the new path? Where do I go now? And then find clarity there. Unless you refocus, you don't know where you go next. Mm, That's beautiful. Tell me where you came from. Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? Uh, I was born in Bonnie, Scotland. So I'm in a beautiful little uh, seaside town called Fife. And I grew up by the sea. We've got beautiful beaches here. I'm so proud to be Scottish. And uh, yeah, you know, my upbringing was... I had a beautiful upbringing. I, I, I didn't have a lot of things, but I had a lot of love. And it's funny because I feel like as I grew older and, you know, you go into society and you begin to have all these belief systems that you need stuff to be successful and you need stuff to find love. So it was like flipped on its head. I grew up with not very much, but a lot of love. And then as I became an adult, I felt like I had to get a lot of stuff and the love kind of went out the window. Wow. And all these experiences of being famous and accumulating a lot of stuff I'm now coming back to where I was as a child and getting rid of the stuff and leaning into love I love that tell me about your your folks uh your parents your family or whoever you're talking about when you talk about love and the love that you receive as a as a child uh my family are amazing super super supportive um my grandfather, I talk about him a lot on my Instagram and people who have followed me for years will know exactly who he is. We have a Scottish word for grandfather here and it's called die. So I call die. him my, my die. And die. Uh, my, 
just the most beautiful human. He, we have a special bond. I'm sure we were like Vikings in a past life, or you know, he's got that warrior spirit, and we just kind of bounce off each other. And when I meet him, I talk to him about spirituality, and I and I talk to him about crystals and healing. And he sits and he listens. And he was a big, big part of my life growing up. So was my grandmother, um, and his mother as well, who were very spiritual very loving, very open. So I spent a lot of my upbringing and childhood in their environment, in their house, and surrounded by their love for sure, yeah. Could you have imagined that you ended up on a show like Big Brother? You know, you talked about in your post, you also talked about how you hit rock bottom in 2008, and then you went on to do Big Brother in 2009. How did you make that decision to go from a normal life to then being thrust into the limelight was there anything in your life that prepares you for this everything was stripped from me and I feel like when we get to choice points in life you want to go to the next level your life around you gets stripped away Mm. I didn't realize in the moment but I realize that now after going through this so many times but just before I went into big brother I had lost my job I'd been in uni Stayed on at school, went to uni, lasted three weeks and was like, can't stay here, I'm out. Got a job, lost the job, literally had nothing, no direction, didn't know what I was going to do. And I heard on the radio that day that they were doing Big Brother auditions. My friend and I looked at each other and I said, let's just go. It was total fate that it was in my town, in, in Edinburgh, not far from me. It was on the radio and it was like, download, just go. So my friend and I went, she got through the, just like maybe the first round and then had to go. And she waited like five hours in the car for me to go through the process. I was there for hours. Then I got called back the next day and I was there for hours again. It was a big process and the process lasted six months in total. But um, yeah, it was utter fate. I had nothing, no options, no money, no wow. job. Nothing. And it was just like, there's a pathway, trust your intuition and go for it. And then the rest history. Well, yeah, I want to, you got to, I want to be in this moment though, because you are in college and university and it lasts a few months. That doesn't work out. Then you try to go work. That doesn't work out either. Are you staying optimistic? Are you, are you beat down? What are you, what are you going through at this point in your, in your life? When I was that age, I always just felt like there would be something else. There would be something else. I never, ever at that point felt as if I was going to really be on my knees. I mean, I was, but I was always like, there's got to be something bigger. There's got to be something else. And I suppose I was trusting my intuition at a young age. I was trusting it, but everything was falling apart. Everything. Who's supporting you at this point? No one, really. It was just my life was fast-tracked. I would never really tell people the depth of what was going on in my life, I don't think, at that age. You you don't. You're just busy doing the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Um, My mum, she always let me grow. She always let me do my thing, make my own mistakes, and I love her for that because she really was like, okay, you want to go to uni? Go try it. You want to leave? Fine. You want to go in Big Brother? Okay. But she was always a support in the background. But I'm very grateful that she allowed me to go and make my own mistakes because that's made me the woman that I am today, for sure. Wow. So you decide, okay, I want to go try out Big Brother now. Are you nervous? Are you excited about this opportunity? What what is what is drawing you to this thing? So for years, um, Big Brother was a huge thing in the UK. You would watch it all summer. I used to watch it. I used to love the show. And a part of me growing up always wanted to be famous. I felt like, again, with fame and material things, life would be incredible. Mm. And I, there was always a part of me was like, I think I'll be famous one day and, and Big Brother would be amazing. So there was a part of me that probably always felt like I can manifest it in a way. And then everything just came together and in that moment I just felt like I was in the right place at the right time it's quite a difficult feeling to explain 
but it was as if the the paths that I had walked leading up to there, the person I was with, we were in the car, we were pretty much on the road anyway. Sometimes there's no words for the way that your life unfolds when you've really got nothing. And now you feel like I'm on the path to fame. What did fame mean to you at this point? Oh, if if I was to look at someone famous, you know, in the magazines and the newspapers, you would look at them and think they've got life made. So I believed that. I believed that if I got famous, then I'd be out of my small town. I'd travel the world. I would have the perfect, perfect life. Fame to me at that age was life sorted in a flash, like in an instant. I never thought of any downsides to fame. I only thought of what's the upshot here. Did you have expectations going into the show of what you thought it would be like? You've seen it before, so you said you were a fan. Yeah, I mean, nothing can prepare you. The whole process of getting in is quite long. I think it was about six months in total. Then I never heard from them again. I moved over to Australia. I was in Australia for three weeks, and then I got a call to say, hey, you're a housemate. Like, hey, problem. (laughs) I've just moved to Australia, and they were like, "Uh, could you be on a flight tomorrow morning? I was like, yeah, let's go. So I flew right back to the UK. Then you go and hide in for a couple of weeks. Then they bring you back to the UK. It's like a whole big, massive process. So any expectations that I had of just getting dumped in a house were just, you know, right to the side. And you're being tested right to that point as well. I think they're actually seeing if you've got the capacity to live in an environment with no phone, no no stimuli that you would normally have, no connection to anyone. They're testing you right up to that point too. For for people who don't know, maybe explain Big Brother, because I've seen it. I saw it a long time ago, but explain the whole premise of the show. So I actually forgot the fact that you you don't have phones, so you can't contact people outside. No, no. So what Big Brother is, is Big Brother is a house. It's, It's where strangers come together and they have to live together. And they're looking at the dynamics of how people interact. It's a social experiment. Big Brother is a social experiment that's televised for entertainment (laughs) that's essentially what it is it's people from all walks of life different upbringings backgrounds everything and we're all together and it's it's how we respond to each other and when you're in that environment your life outside of that does not exist it's almost as if you have to shut off to that and they then become your world your universe your culture everything is contained within that environment and yes filmed 24 7 people they, watch you everything <laughs> that was the crazy part because i remember watching this and i was like well there's cameras everywhere in this house how does it affect you the, we talked about this a little bit but maybe you can also talk about it on the show like yeah. you have cameras all over the house and i know from my blog on the rebuilding the beast page like every time i put a camera on people they like they change and start doing something else they start performing was that what it was for people in the house? Or do you relax after a while? What's, what's the process of, of getting yeah. used to having cameras everywhere? You you do forget. People are like, how could you forget? But they are, they're are visible. But the majority of what gets filmed is hidden behind mirrors, very large mirrors. So you do. You just become unaware of where you are and, and what's actually going on, that this is televised. It is a, a full immersion into... A new world. Challenges? And when you have to go, because you're like, but these are my <laughs> friends and my family. I, I don't want to go back outside now. <laughs> wow. Yes. So how, how long is it? How long does it take? How long are you in the house for? I think in total, it's maybe 12 weeks is the, is the full length of the show, or at least it was back then. And I was there for six. But when you are constantly socializing with people and you're talking to everyone and you're you're performing because there is tasks to do and there's there's things that we need to participate in so a week feels like a month time does not exist in that place there's no clocks you're not allowed to watch so the only way that you know what time of day it is roughly is the sun coming up and going down is it challenging getting used to a house like this leaving your family being in a new place um or was it at a point in your life where you felt like, yo, I don't really have anything else outside, so I want to start this new life in here? 
what was your experience? Yeah, I feel as if because I traveled beforehand, because I'd had all the things that was familiar to me in my life just be taken away from me, mm-hmm. that was the new beginning, the new chapter. And I had fully just stepped into it. everything I once knew was gone. And everything that I had kind of wanted to manifest and step into was there. So it was like, okay, let's go. Let's go. So how do you know that you're getting famous, though? If you're a big, big brother house and you don't have outside stimuli, no social media, how do you know that you're... Actually, this is 2009. Was there social media then? No, like, I think in 2009, maybe Facebook and Twitter were there. But social media was not what social media is now at all. Um, it was magazines. It was newspapers. So people were physically buying papers and keeping them my grandmother actually like took every single newspaper article and magazine and kept it and gave me like a big folder when I came out I still have it okay so tell me about a challenge tell me about the the hard part of being in the house for for 12 weeks with strangers Mm. I mean there is people in there from all walks of life they've got all different views belief systems um and i think the challenging part actually on reflection is that you're operating from your ego everyone's operating from ego on that show and this is this is me looking at big brother through a lens now with the information and wisdom that i have now it's reality tv right but nobody's been real that's the truth because I can speak from experience I was operating from my ego I'm Carly and I've got this persona and I'm going to have to kind of operate with that and make people like me for this reason and I don't want to get voted out so everyone's been fake and operating from ego and then there is moments where you will see a vulnerable moment or people will start to shed parts of themselves but how can you be real and how can you be honest in an environment that is created specifically for us to just show the best parts of ourselves. Like you can't. Humans are, we have light and dark and good and bad and duality. And these shows, when people go on it, they just want to show their best bits. It's like an Instagram highlight reel. But that's not real life. Reality TV to me is not reality. So what is that? Um, okay, tell me about that part. I didn't know that you get voted out. I don't. I didn't remember that part. So who is voting and who's... Yeah, so every single that. week, the public, so the British public, would actually vote who their favourites were. And anyone with the lowest votes, they would get put out that week. So oh. you don't want to be unpopular. So you, you don't do know to- that you're getting watched. That's, so like that, So you do, are you are aware of the fact that people are watching you. So... Yeah, that moment where you know that you could be getting voted out, you're like, whoa, I'm on a TV show here. Oh, yeah. What have I done this week? How was I behaving? Oh, shit, shit, shit. You know? Yeah, that's the that's the moment when you go, I'm on a TV show. Whoa, who's been watching me? Oh, my mom. And then you start thinking about your family and your friends and then it all just comes up. Other than that night, you're not thinking. So you go through this through the season and um how did it end up? So I got halfway through. I came out of the house. It was a whirlwind. Coming from a small town in Scotland to then being in London, living in London, going to these events, you meet people, you meet famous people, and it's just that then becomes your world. And that was so probably overwhelming to me at that time and yeah I mean I wouldn't change anything but there was definitely moments where I didn't trust my intuition and I probably met people and and got involved with people that I shouldn't have and so in reflection that's a lesson as well to always trust your intuition Wow! but yeah it was a whirlwind it was an amazing experience and I had the opportunity to travel the world and do some amazing shows and and share my story a little bit then too. So all in all, it was a great experience. But no, so but what I want to know though is now you're a celebrity. Mm-hmm. You go from small town girl to being a celebrity. 
is there an adjustment period? What What is that? Is that do you just walk into it like, yo, I'm famous now. This is the thing I've been wanting to be this whole time. Or is it like, dang, like people are not letting me eat food at restaurants now because they always want to take pictures. What is the adjustment like during that period? Yeah, the, the adjustment periods of being famous is really bizarre because I always felt that when I was famous, if I was to go outside, people would be like, oh, like nice, nice, nice all the time, like having a really good positive feedback. But the reality was people were looking at you and talking about you as if you weren't a real person. So they would like take pictures of you or they would there'd be paparazzi everywhere so I couldn't just go out and go to the store or I was always conscious so I had to always dress a certain way so you become more self-aware you become more self-conscious because people are looking and taking pictures and and it's not actually positive to your face it's behind your back and that was one of the realizations of when I got famous that people will know who you are but they won't say things to your face they'll say them behind your back and it's a very it's a very, very difficult thing to adjust to, I think, because it's just not normal. What about your friends, your family? Has your relationship changed with any of them? I would say the relationship with my family got better. And a few friends dropped off. A few family members dropped off too because they sold stories. And so, Oh, sold stories of you. Yeah. And so... It was, it was a good experience. It was a, a difficult experience. But to see people for who they truly are and then to have my close relationships readjusted, I think was a blessing in disguise. And again, when you become famous and when you get yourself out there, there will be people that will try and benefit from that too. Um, but again, I do see that as a blessing in disguise. So things did change. Yeah, I, I did have better relationships with some and no relationships with others. So now you are, um, you're an influencer and you're going through these adjustments. But there was a moment where you feel like now you have to refocus. Tell me about that moment. Yeah, I, I went through a really, really tough relationship at that point. And it changed me as a person. It, it really made me a shell of myself. A lot of my career options went away as a result of this relationship um it felt as if my world was closing in and in and in and it got to the stage where I had to leave that situation and my mum I remember it was my mum that came and literally saved me she came and she picked me up and I left with my suitcases and I had no money I had I had nothing I went from being super famous and traveling the world to making my world really small and getting in a toxic situation. And then I left with nothing and I had to rebuild. I went back to my mom's house. Mm. I was back in the spare bedroom where I used to grow up as a kid. And I was like, well, I'm humbled. Okay, what now? And so then from there, I was like, I really want to get out of this famous life. I want to have stability. I want to know where I'm going, what time, how much money I'll have. It was just like an instant, you're here, and now you're like, there. Are you still famous at this point, though? I'm still very famous at this point. Yeah, this this all happened very quickly. And I remember saying, I was so upset one night, and I was in my bed, and I, and I, was, I, I prayed. I literally prayed and was like, please help me, like, I don't know what I'm going to do next. I just want to do something different and I want people to take me serious. I want people to know that I have brains. So it's like something switched in me and I was like, all the knowledge and wisdom that I shunned at university, I wanted to go back to that path and I wanted to do something useful and be of use to someone and help people. And then I remember the next day, my friend texted and said, hey, we've got this opening at this company that I work for and it's financial and it's a big firm in Edinburgh. Do you want to come for an interview? Now I'm still famous. So I'm like, how odd would it be if they're reading about me in the newspaper and then I rock up in the office like, hey, can I get a job? So, <laughs> so my yes. had wow. to be right to the side. That was a huge 
ego learn like a huge ego lesson for me that I learned because I had to put that to the side because I needed to live so you did go get a job you did go ask for a job I did I did I love I love this part of where it all changed because I was being interviewed and I can tell that the two of them knew who I was and I'm like yeah and this is my CV and they kept asking why is there gaps in this CV why where did you go for a year and I was like, oh, I was traveling, you know, just taking some time out. And one of them went, look, we know who you are. And we all just burst out laughing. And I was like, tell us about my brother. We wanted to watch you. We loved it. And yeah, I got the job. I, I, I got hired and I started the next week. And that was actually one of the best times of my life. Wow. The, Why? I met so many people. Uh, beautiful amazing people I had structure I was in Edinburgh I love Edinburgh so much and my boss at the time was just so trusting of all of us we were all super young a great dynamic team and we just he trusted us it was like another version of the big brother house only it was authentic and people were themselves and people supported each other there was no no requirement for anyone to be other than just who they were. And we all got along and it was a beautiful time in my life where I was able to step into a different version of myself. And I worked my way up within the corporate ladder. That was where the corporate world began for me. I, I love this version of the story because it's like, I was scared to go in this office because I'm like, they're, they're, they know who I am and I'm famous, but now I have to go ask for a job and, and, and work for them. Now, I also want to know what it's like to actually work a job when you're coming from a place where you have this freedom that some people look forward to. You say you like the structure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I used to get on the bus at like 5.30 in the morning to make it through. I used to travel maybe four hours a day sometimes, and none of it bothered me because I just knew that the people that I was going to and the job that I was doing was secure. It was stable. It wasn't this roller coaster ride like famous. You don't know what's coming next, who's coming next, what people's intentions are. It's got very high highs, but very low lows. And that's something that I wasn't prepared for and had to adjust to. One thing I actually want to ask about is like sometimes people think that hustling is the key to success. And so you have to say yes to every opportunity and have no days off until you hit burnout. Can you talk about when you've had burnout and recognize the importance of living fully in the present? Yeah. So as I worked my way up the ladder, I then got myself into higher positions with more responsibility. I was actually thrust into an environment where it was just it was so male dominated male salesmen male clients and then I'm adjusting to that as well so I'm like right okay you know I have to have the nice watch like the guys and I have to have the good car like the guys so I'm going to work harder than them and I did and it was just grind 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 I was getting on flights and going to Greece at the weekend coming back then I, you know I'm here and there and 3am flights to London and coming back the same day it was just when I look back on that, too much. And as a woman, I feel like I was so much in my masculine energy then, where I was just doing, thinking, logic. Nothing would ever have been enough. I was hitting my targets. I had the nice watch, the nice car, everything. That was where all the material stuff came. The, the material stuff came from there, not fame. And it got to a point where my health was really bad. I put on a lot of weight. I was drinking a lot because I was socialising a lot. It just all caught up, caught up on me and I got really sick. I got really, really ill. And um, then lockdown happened and I was forced to have no job again. <laughs> I actually got made redundant. I didn't have a job. And I was like, right, okay, what now? <laughs> Wow. So as you see, when when you make a commitment to move through the levels and you really take your journey and your growth serious, sometimes life will strip everything away that you knew to 
I mean, I was pushed onto the next timeline. So I lost my job. I lost it. Everything just went. And I had to then look at myself and say, what now? But yeah, thankfully, during the last year of working for that company, that was when I did my course on transformational coaching. The company that I worked for, they were really big into well-being, mental health. And I thought, you know, it's it's fine selling something to someone, but they're not understanding what makes somebody happy. That was my question. What makes somebody happy and what makes somebody unhappy? And I asked, can I go on this course? And they went, yeah, of course, do it. Go for it. And I became a hypnotherapist by accident because the majority of the course was hypnotherapy. It wasn't wow. really mine. Coaching part was like this. And the hypnotherapy was like that. And through me learning about hypnotherapy, I learned about myself and I healed a lot of my past. I grew so much through that experience. And I truly believe that's what put me on a spiritual path as well. That's awesome. Because I know that feeling. I know the feeling of I know the feeling of stopping a career that makes you famous and having to start a new career that makes you like makes you a civilian. Gladly for me, like I am so blessed and so lucky that I got to do something else that was also something that still puts me in the limelight being a broadcaster now. But I went to a friend of mine. I remember this this moment so clearly. I went to a friend of mine uh, last year and I was thinking to myself, you know what? Like, maybe I'm done playing basketball. Maybe I'm done with this life of professional sports. Maybe I just need to get a job and just work my way up the ladder and just I'll be fine regardless. I've always believed the same way you do. I've always believed that if I just got a chance at doing something, I will work my way up and I'll figure it out. So I went to a friend, a friend, and I was like, hey, I don't know anything about your industry. But I do think that if you give me enough time, my superpower is that I learn really quickly and I can be really good at this job. It was like a, it's a sales job. It's like a distribution for chemicals and stuff. And he's like, okay, but since you don't know anything about it, like you have to start at this position so you can work your way up. And when he showed me what I was supposed to make, I'm a very humble person. That's not the, that's not where I'm going with this. But in that moment, I had so much empathy because I understood like, like people really like, that's like, is how do people live on the salary? You know, so it was really it was a really interesting time for me. So um, where I saw this, this I'm like, oh, wow, like this is where I have to start now. And this is where I have to start from the bottom of a new industry. So that's why I was so curious about you starting a new industry, because starting at the bottom is is a hard thing. And as much as we are all positive humans, like it is hard to, to feel like, damn, like, okay, I'm famous, but I'm here in the in the mail delivery room where did you have to start at this company yeah right at the bottom right at the bottom the lowest salary lowest paid yeah and lowest graded job it was a job that nobody wanted to do I'm like okay I'll, I'll go for it and I was just so humbled and actually happy to be with people and do something and have yeah that structure I guess but now nah, when I started that job it was bottom for sure and eventually you decided that you wanted to be a soul coach <laughs> yeah, that that happened through default I think I must have wrote that up in my soul contracts up there <laughs> in the end, after you've learned all these hardships you're going to be a soul coach and you're going to read people's souls and mm. help guide as many as you can but yeah that that really was a part of my life that I did not see coming what I'm doing now if you told me I was going to be doing this a few years ago I would have laughed in your face and said absolutely no way no way and now I'm here and I'm doing it and I love, I love what I do. It brings me so much joy and fulfillment 
to connect with other people and to know them on a a very deeply connected level it's it's so special and it really is beyond words it's I feel very blessed to do the, the work that I do now that's amazing so tell me about the tell me about how you because you we stopped before and you were talking about discovering that you wanted to be a hypnotherapist what did you see about it what even is hypnotherapy yes I became a hypnotherapist by accident hmm. I wanted to be I wanted to learn about the human mind, what makes people happy, what makes them sad. And so I found this course and it was to do with NLP, CBT techniques, mindset coaching, transformational coaching. I was like, that sounds like the one. Mm. And so it took me a year to qualify, but the smallest part of that course was the mindset stuff, the coaching stuff. And the majority of it was hypnotherapy. I'm like, wow, okay. And hypnotherapy, what you're doing is the way that I see hypnotherapy is you are taking someone through a guided meditation that helps them to tap into their intuition and their subconscious mind to make change in their life. It's a very relaxing but deeply healing therapy. And it's so powerful. So powerful. Um, I think I said this to you before. I don't know if I trust hypnotherapists. Um, but the bad rap, right? But it's just the idea of something where does that mean I can just make people do whatever I want them to do? How what how does hypnotherapy work? Yeah, there there is this stigma attached to hypnotherapy that when you go under hypnosis, the therapist can take over your brain and make you do all these things. It's just not the case. You know, you see these stage hypnotists and yeah, maybe that is an element to it, but that's just not what, what hypnotherapy is at all. When when I work with clients, they they talk back and forward to me. They're always in control. It's just that I've, I've been under hypnotherapy myself for some phobias that I had and they were gone straight after the session, completely gone. And it was the most relaxing insightful experience that I have ever had and I think that actually helped me to heal from a lot of the trauma that I had gone through with the relationship and also with being famous so through me learning how to help other people I healed myself and that's the beauty of how the universe works sometimes what kind of training goes into becoming a hypnotherapist so there's a lot of study. It did take a full year. So study, we're doing one-to-ones. We have to do case studies. And it's just really hands-on learning and meeting people and really understanding different stories. It's time, it's compassion, and it's using logic and intuition and putting them both together. Mm. So, yeah. A lot of studying. What are the examples give me some examples of of changes you've seen in people's lives through hypnotherapy by the way i was looking on instagram the other day and a former teammate of mine he was getting hypnotized so the guy stands behind him and says whatever you guys do when you hypnotize somebody snap your fingers and he goes limp and then he tells him every time you're going to be like my puppet every time i move my arm you're going to move your arm every time i move the strings above you you're going to move your arm so here's why this is freaky to be he can't see him so it's not like even if he was in on the joke he can't see the guy behind him and the dude is doing this with the strings right above him and he's moving his arms it's the freakiest thing and then when he comes through he says what do you feel He said, I felt you pulling my arms. Like he felt like the guy was grabbing his arm and and lifting it up. And it was, I was like, wait, (laughs) why can't you do this to make your, your husband, the best husband in the world (laughs) or to make your kids, like hypnotize your kids and be like, all right, you guys are going to be quiet today at church. (laughs) Like what, what is it? What has been some of the the best improvements because people do do this with serious ailments and, and stuff. So what have, what have you seen? So there was my most recent client and her story 
was so emotional for me to even hear that I have to share it. We, she had a fear of something. She had a fear of both her children dying. Her children are healthy. There is no logical reason why something would happen to her kids and she could never shake it off. She never wanted anyone to take her kids. And so she said, Carly, like, I've got a fear of something happening to my kids. Can you regress me? Can you do, you can do regression therapy, which takes someone back to maybe a moment where this phobia started. And I said, okay, okay. So we went into session and, and she popped up on the screen and she was really pale she wasn't feeling well. She she said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sick and I, I really don't feel well, but I really want to do the session. I said, that's fine. We'll turn the cameras off anyway. Let's go into session. And so we went into session and when I regressed her, she went back to a past life, to a remembrance before even being here. She saw her death in that life. She processed a lot of emotions. And then finally, on the we done three. There was three that came up. And on the last life, she said, I'm a little girl and the house, there's a house burning and I've lost all my family, but there's a lady walking towards me and I think she's my mother. And I said, okay, tell, tell me, like, do you recognise her? And she just burst out crying. She went, that's my daughter in this life. She died in the fire and I never got a chance to say goodbye. And she just burst out crying. And so we let all the emotions out because the emotions are stored in the body and she just got everything out. And then I said, Go to your passing in that life. Tell me how you pass. She says, I'm an old lady. I've got my family around me. Everybody's really happy almost and just loving. And there's one person right next to me who's holding my hand and I can feel them. And I said, can you tell me who they are? And she went, that's my son. But in this life, it's my daughter and she's an empath and she's holding me until I pass. And I said, okay. And when she came back round and she popped her camera back up, her, all the colour had went back to her body. Her cheeks were rosy. She was vibrant. She was happy. And she was like, that was the most life-changing experience I've ever had because I see my children through different eyes and I understand why I'm scared to lose them in this life because I lost them in that one. And she went, actually, I'm in no pain. I, I, I feel healed at... I can't explain it. I'm in no pain. And all the color had came back to her face. And that for me was so profound and so emotional. And she, she's still having realizations yet. She is still processing these thoughts, feelings, memories, imprints, soul imprints to this day. And yeah, she felt great afterwards too. So there is some form of healing that happens on a cellular level when you tap into the subconscious and that could be done through regression therapy is it crazy to you and not crazy being crazy but crazy being amazing and like are you awestruck by the fact that you do this for people you yeah. who used to live the other life is now soul searching, is now a soul coach rather, and is also hypnotizing and healing people that way. What do you think about what you do now? It only hit me probably a couple of days ago. And I stopped and I thought, this is actually what I'm supposed to do. This is the purpose. But it took so many falls, so many hardships, so many life lessons for me to get to this point. And I'm so grateful that at those moments, I did refocus every single mm. time and allow myself to be different versions of myself. Mm. Yeah, I was famous. Yeah, I did have to start at the bottom. Yeah, I did have to be a corporate businesswoman. But all of those life experiences has now put me on this path of healing other people and it is, it is very overwhelming but I feel so blessed to be able to do that now you used the word purpose a few times there mm -hmm. what does purpose look like and how do people find out what their purpose is purpose is driven by your soul's desire to live in authenticity 
The difference for me, the difference between success and purpose is that success, you look for it to please others, but your purpose is to please your soul. And that's how I can explain it. You can have both, but purpose is what what feeds you. Purpose is what makes you really content. And I think the way that you find it is that any time life knocks you down, you refocus and you get back up. And you take a step no matter how small it is and you trust your intuition always. You trust the nudges. You trust the signs. You trust the people that you meet and you know that it's right for you because you feel intuition in your gut and in here rather than up here. You feel it. You, you know it's truth and you follow that always. That's incredible. What are some key essentials in your life that help you remain grounded and fully present? I meditate every day. And before, years ago, if someone told me to meditate, I said, I can't sit and think about nothing. There's no way I'm going to do that. But (laughs) meditation has transformed my life. Even if it's just for five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night, it brings so much clarity. It it brings peace. And that is something that's like a non-negotiable for me. I ground as much as I can. I love to be outdoors. And I do go through phases where I will disconnect myself from the world. And I think it's important to unplug. We don't have to be plugged into social media all the time. We don't have to be plugged into our friends, our families, our commitments. It's so important to take time for yourself to reflect, to regroup and to realign with what you want for your life rather than what you think other people want you to do with your life. So yeah, meditation grounding and time. I like to have time for me to hear me. Sometimes I just listen. When you start talking, I'm I'm in it. So wow. The point of this podcast and you are definitely the epitome of rebuilding the beast. Why we share stories here is because we believe that your journey could be someone else's survival guide. My question to you is, what do you hope that people take from hearing your story? I hope that people can see that you can reinvent yourself as many times as you like in life, that you do not have to live to please others, that you can allow your life to fall apart and still be okay and still make it. And I feel as if as long as we're always facing our fears, because fear is something that holds people back. Because you fear the unknown. You fear, you fear the past sometimes. And I think one of the most profound things I ever did was face the biggest fear that I had. So I went, okay, what's the biggest fear I have right now? Because I feel stuck in life. And I said, I'm scared of heights, terrified. I'm going to go jump out of a plane. And so I booked a skydive. I didn't tell anyone. And then... It got to like two days before. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go and do this skydive. And people are like, no way will she do that? No way. And the fear inside of me before I booked the skydive was here. I was just thinking about it all day. Will I die? Will I, will I go through with it? What's going to happen? And then as soon as I booked it, the fear went to there. As soon as I got to the center and got myself strapped in, the fear went to here. I was like, hmm feel calm like I know I'm doing it and then as the plane went up and as I jumped out my fear level was there and I was just like high and Mm. happy and excited and so I feel like with fear fear is an illusion because what you fear hasn't happened yet and so when you commit that moment I made a commitment to jump was the moment that the fear dissolved because I'd made a commitment. I'm like, nah, okay, I'm going to commit to that. And so if you see your fear and you commit to facing it, 
you'll just keep moving and breaking through the barriers. And that's the way that you rebuild the beast. What's next for you? How do you continue to rebuild this beast? How do you continue to evolve and transform? I am just about to embark on a brand new timeline. I'm like on the cusp of jumping out a a plane right now. Let's go. Let's go. So what's next for me is I really want to travel the world. I have this desire in me to experience different cultures, different, um, I just want to meet people and just really absorb all the knowledge and wisdom that is out there in the world. And so I'm selling everything that I own. I'm selling my car, my house, my belongings. It's all going. And again, my life will be stripped from me. But this time I have a sole purpose. And this time I'm going to go out into the world and I'm I'm going to operate from a place of love, from my heart. And it's truth and it's honest. And that is what's next for me. I just want to share my story, help as many people as I can. And actually reshape the way that hypnotherapy is perceived because it is so powerful and it really can have a life-changing effect on so many individuals that need it. So yeah, that's my mission. Beautiful full circle moment here because for every podcast, I ask the same question to finish. The question is, what would you say to your younger self, the girl who dropped out of uni, the girl who lost her first job, the girl who thought that fame was the end-all be-all and life would be perfect after you were famous. You've gone through this whole journey and you are where you are now. You're selling your furniture. You're selling all your material stuff to travel the world. What would you say to her? What advice would you give her? You know, I went through this process a few weeks ago and I did a meditation and I said I think I need to bring my younger self in and I think I need to tell her that it's time to go now because she's done all that she had to do and when I brought her in I said thank you thank you for making the mistakes that I can now see made me thank you for being you because we only know what we know at the time I would tell her that life could be and will be so much better than she could have ever imagined. And it's all because she took the risks. She made the mistakes. She allowed me to fall and break so that I knew how to rebuild myself. I would thank her. The beast, Carly Ashworth. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing your story. I am definitely inspired. I'm going to listen back to this again because, man, you had so many gems in there. And I'm just, I'm grateful to hear your journey. And I'm so happy to hear that you are where you are right now. I can't wait to see what you do more in the future. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Real Beast podcast. I hope that was as inspiring for you as it was for me. Please don't forget to hit subscribe, like, and share with a friend so more people can hear more of this inspiring, amazing messages and stories. Until next time, this is Rebuilding the Beast.